one and all to episode 62 of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah DeGeorge. Hey, how you doing? I thought you were thought you were introducing me to like a, a wrestling match. Is this is this creator <laughs> creator clash? <laughs> I guess does that mean am I like the Bruce Buffer or am yeah, I yeah, like yeah. the you, the other guy in the corner? You're Bruce Buffer and the other guy in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just you and me uh duking it out. No, I feel like we we have not really had like too many like disagreements on this show, you know? Yeah. Who knows when we will eventually come to the proverbial blows, as it were. But um, I, I mean, we might be taking a look at Rogue One pretty soon. I don't know. Maybe that'll be it. I think that's well, like you, that's, you that's and I right now. That's thing. kind of like the biggest thing that you and I kind of like maybe not even vehemently disagree on because I know you're kind of you're seeing the light. You're coming towards the, to, yes. to the light, as it were. But um well, I think Saw Gerrera might be the thing that does it. <laughs> it's definitely uh, going to be Saw Gerrera, and I think I think it's in character for him to like that. I think that that's what he wants. Oh, for us to just like invite into the the chaos to reign. That's exactly. very true. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Shout out, uh, shout out, Saw Gerrera one time from this coming <laughs> Philly podcast. Uh, how you doing? You doing all right? It's yeah, been. It seems yeah. like it's. Uh, I don't know. It seems like it's been, it, we feel like we talk about this all the time. It's just like, man, it seems like it's been a long week. <laughs> well, it definitely has, uh, for the, for the viewers, the listeners, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I am, I talked to Garrett about this a little bit, but big announcement. I'm in the process of moving houses. This has no effect on you listeners. So it doesn't no. matter. You can skip right. He's over actually doing part. it right now. There are movers <laughs> behind him. Uh, he, he, oh, his desk they is being taken up, away yeah, from him they right now. Me up on the chair. They're carrying me into the moving van. No, no is recording the remainder of this episode inside of a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> There's no air inside in the back. So we'll see how long this lasts. Yeah. Um, have you, have you like, have you acquired new digs, a uh, new place uh, set in stone or yes, are we still in yeah. the process of apartment hunting? We are, we are uh, just about official. Um, all we're waiting on is uh, how much we have to pay for the security deposit. So nice. Uh, nice. All of it's going through, but uh, just in case there's a little bit of future, uh, I don't know if this, st- what the stability is going to look like in terms of, you know, our availability to be putting out episodes, but Hopefully it won't change too much. Feel like it's worth mentioning just to say, yeah, yeah. it has been a it has been a long week, and it yes. feels long because I had to go and buy a thousand cardboard boxes. A thousand? Would you go do? Did you do the Walmart run? Because they've got they've got plenty of boxes. That well, was more, that was my go to place when I was moving. I needed stuff from Lowe's anyways. Uh, gotcha. So it was a trip to Lowe's. Typical. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we'll figure it out. If you've, if you've got to take a little pause, I know plenty of star Wars nerds that would love to talk about star Wars and maybe they'll, uh, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll substitute teach, uh, while you're in the process of moving. Um, but we'll figure it out. We will cross that, of that podcasting bridge when we get there. Uh, but this week, Noah, we do have some news, not a ton of like huge earth shattering news, but we do have new, uh, news nonetheless. Uh, we've got some details about the upcoming Ahsoka series. Uh, skeleton crew has started filming. So we're going to be talking about that uh, we've got a new trailer for a new documentary series coming out uh and last but not least you and i are going to be closing out this episode kind of giving like you know our brief thoughts on thor love and thunder and the reason we are doing so is because taika waititi writer and director of that movie is going to be the next person to take a crack at star wars on the big screen so you and i are going to be talking about you know our reactions to the film how does that affect our anticipation or maybe trepidation uh for the upcoming star wars 
movie, things that we saw in Thor Love and Thunder that we might anticipate also seeing, just different kind of stuff. I thought that would make for an interesting conversation this week. Uh, Noah, but until we get there, uh, in the latest issue of Empire Magazine, which we also covered last week when we talked about the uh, new details on Cassie and Andor, uh, there were some also uh, some other details about what some fans can expect to see in the upcoming Ahsoka series, which is currently filming at the moment. Uh, we got some quotes from Rosario Dawson, as well as Natasha Liu Bordizio, uh, who portrays uh, Ahsoka and Sabine Wren, respectively. Uh, Dawson commented on how the series will offer a more introspective look on the character, uh, which is contrasted with what is presented in the Book of Boba Fett, as well as The Mandalorian. Uh, she said the following. She said, there have been two instances where Ahsoka has shown up on a mission. You see how she's interacting with folks, but you never really get her per se. Uh, per se. Uh, even fans who, who have lived with her for so long don't know where she's at now in this journey. Uh, and then uh, Natasha, as I said, also commented on Sabine uh, and noted how she in this series is being portrayed as a flawed character. She said Sabine is so fearless and brave, but also with so much grace, uh, but she still has some flaws. She's making mistakes and it's very high stakes in this galactic war to make mistakes. Uh, Bordizio also noted uh, how Star Wars Rebels can be uh, affected, whether or not you've viewed that series and uh, how you will perceive the Ahsoka series insane. Uh, it's great for audiences to have seen Rebels beforehand, but we've got a standalone chapter as it is. Uh, so Noah, we don't really have a whole lot of details on the Ahsoka series. We did see kind of a sneak peek of uh, what we can expect to see. Uh, we just the the smallest of glimpses of the Ahsoka series, but now we're getting some details on what we can expect to see from some character stuff in this. I kind of do want to go um, quote by quote here and start off with this first quote from Rosario Dawson and saying, do you think it's uh, like you know, accurate or, or, you know, uh, do you agree with what Rosario was saying here in regards to, yeah, Ahsoka has been in the book of Boba Fett and has been in the Mandalorian, but we don't really know kind of where she's at in this journey and how it relates to her uh, character at this point in time. Well, I definitely agree. Um, this is something that I think that we have addressed this, um, a couple times at least kind of talking about how, Ahsoka's character in what we have seen so far feels cool. Um, it feels cool at the most. Um, there's not, there's obviously not a lot of depth, right? Mm -hmm. um, this isn't a character that uh, is going to be poured into in something like The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett because that's just not what they're there for, right? Yeah. Um, and part of the I think part of the growing pains of seeing Ahsoka in live action has been that th those appearances is just not the place for her character to be explored however as we know uh you know Ahsoka's character is very 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 complex and Dave Filoni knows that most of all so it's not a surprise that this series is going to say okay this is more than just how does Rosario Dawson look in the getup? How does she look mm -hmm. in the costume with the lightsabers, with the whatever? It's yeah. way more than that. It's how do you portray this, you know, long loved character, this character that is adored by so many people, not just for, oh, that's a cool character, but, you know, also for this character means a whole lot. And obviously, mm -hmm. you and I are big Ashley Eckstein fans, um, and her 
journey as a voice actor, as the the voice of Ahsoka, and being able to connect with that character is something that you and I have always appreciated is that mm-hmm. Ashley Eckstein always talks about, well, this character is more than just a person. They are a symbol of this. They are a beacon of yeah. this. And, mm-hmm. and all of that wrapped up into one person. It's good to know that Rosario Dawson is, is you know, flat out saying like, hey, we understand that there's that there is a background to this character emotionally and that's what we'll get now. Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I interpret it. Yeah. And I think it is interesting because if you think about it, you know, for a lot of people, they might have like a vague understanding of who Ahsoka is as far as like, I've seen her, I've seen her Funko pop, you know, I've, I've seen, I've, I, I, I saw that she was on that clone Wars series, but I never really saw it. Even with a lot of star Wars fans who have never really given the animated, uh, the animated shows much of a, much of a shakedown. Um, I think, or, uh, much of a chance, not a shakedown. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stick them up. <laughs> stick them up that, the clone wars. Don't know where that came from. Uh, anyway, uh, I think more, uh, what I was trying to say is I, if you watch the book of Boba Fett and you watch Mando season two, she's almost kind of treated as like a backdoor pilot in a way, uh, is, is, as far as like, yeah, there are seasons and episodes and hours of content of Ahsoka stuff out there. But for those of you who haven't seen her, like we're going to give you a little bit of a tease to kind of introduce you to this character and then they will get their own kind of spinoff show and be, you know, uh, given their chance to shine just like the Bad Batch were, you know, or something like that to where we get a little bit of a tease. We have a couple of episodes with them in there. Uh, and then for those of, uh, the, you know, the fans who haven't really given the Clone Wars show its fair its fair shake, I think is what I was trying to say. Yes, <laughs> I think that that works. Run Whatever. I'm running with it. I've got the baton here. But um, yeah, I think that that's... Uh, it's 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 interesting and, and kind of unexpected because especially with the Disney Plus series and being so high profile and being viewed by so many people. I mean, Obi Wan Kenobi, for example, was like breaking records and it was like the most highly viewed Disney Plus series. Whether or not you know that means people are so excited for Obi Wan Kenobi or we're just getting more Disney Plus subscribers or both. The point is, is these uh, live action shows are getting viewed and are getting talked about by people, uh, and it's it's fascinating to see how even a character like like Ahsoka, who has been beloved by fans for like probably 10, what what does that make of this? Like over 10 years, nearly 15 years at this point. Uh, It's it's crazy to think how um, there's still so many people who are being introduced to her uh, and there's still so much uh, complexity to um, explore with this character. But I did want to ask though, so uh, Ashley, or not Ashley Eckstein, uh, Rosario Dawson in this uh, in this quote here does talk about that we don't really know where she's at in this journey. Uh, where do you anticipate Ahsoka being at in this journey? Because this is a post Return of the Jedi kind of world here, um, post the book of Boba Fett, meaning that she has spoken with Luke Skywalker and is uh, maybe maybe not familiar with what uh, actually befell Anakin or befell Darth Vader. What do you kind of expect to see in the show as far as where she is at in this journey, so to speak? Well, when I kind of think of, you know, what we are coming off the heels of, right? Um, I, in my head, obviously, um, literally picture the, you know, Ahsoka standing there with her with her cloak on and that mm-hmm. cool looking staff thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, having more eye on her shoulder and whatnot. That's Mm -hmm. like my image of Ahsoka here. What does that mean as a character? 
the thing for me is that I, I am almost trying to put out uh, the version that we see in in the man or not in the Mandalorian in like the Book of Boba Fett or mm-hmm. or in the Mandalorian. I'm trying to sort of put that out of my mind because it doesn't. Not saying it doesn't work, but I don't think that there is a. Uh, you know, I don't have a headcanon as to a narrative thread of, okay, we see her, you know, meeting up with Sabine here. Mm-hmm. Why is she doing this here? And then what are we going to see after that? In my head, I don't have like a clear linear path there. So it's, it, it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give it a little bit of grace um, because I understand most of all that, that it, kind of was a backdoor pilot um mm-hmm. and that's fine and i understand that you know the people in charge handled the character the way that they wanted to i'm not saying that i don't have faith in that um in terms of her two appearances so far but i don't have at all a picture of where she would be at i would like to think that um that she's a lot wiser um and you know a little bit more i mean she's she's much older than the characters were going to be uh, messing around with when it comes to someone like Sabine. Um, Ahsoka is much older and has been through much more and knowing that she probably had a place in the Battle of Endor most likely um, or what she may have been doing as Fulcrum. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas that could that could all be wrapped up in kind of saying well she has gone through quite a bit and has learned so much more about the bigger world, the, the way that the people that she knew influenced the people that mm-hmm. kind of make the big moves, so to speak, uh, in the original trilogy, like someone like Luke. Um, so I don't know. It's a hard question to answer because I want to think that the version that we will see in the series is going to just look right, you know, look like what we know at the very end of Rebels and say this, this Ahsoka is regal, is wise, is, um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, very, very strong and, you know, obviously not brash like we've seen in the Clone Wars or, you know, or reckless like we've seen in the Clone Wars and not beyond that, not just cool that we've seen in the Mandalorian um you know so it's a hard question to answer um and I have kind of struggled thinking of a linear path to what she might what she might be bringing to the table post everything we've seen so far I mean do you have kind of a clear image of of what we might be getting you know it's 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 kind of interesting because the last time that we saw Ahsoka in like animated form was just like kind of, yeah. I mean, obviously at the end of, of star Wars rebels, but in far as the timeline is concerned, it's pre a new hope. Uh, and yes. it's like, just like kind of at the border of a new hope. And then we have, you know, t- till the end of return of the Jedi, the, so many things could have, uh, could have transpired during that. And then we have kind of this, uh, uh, reintroduction of her in the Mandalorian where she's clearly on a mission to, to be finding Ezra or finding Thrawn is more accurately what we, what we see here. So we have like kind of the, the concrete plot ideas of what she's searching for, but I'm, I'm a little bit more interested in what she's kind of looking for emotionally. Cause I think definitely in the Mandalorian season two, 
when she's talking about Grogu and talking about attachment, she makes this comment about like, I've seen what it can do to the worst of us. And I, and it's very clear that she's referring to Anakin and seeing how that sort of, uh, attachment and, uh, and passion had, had, uh, affected her friend, uh, and, 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 you know, made him turn to, to the dark side. Do we know, you know, uh, kind of what her her response to Luke is and to, you know, if they even have that conversation, if they even had that conversation? I don't know. I would certainly like to see that conversation. Um, I will say as far as, you know, uh, books and novels and things like that are concerned, I definitely I love the books and I, I, I love a lot of the comics and I definitely understand the the place that they have. And I don't think that they're like lesser forms of storytelling. However, there are definitely like Star Wars moments that I would just rather see on screen uh, rather than read in a book and that's definitely one of those moments mm-hmm. as far as I want to see Ahsoka have this conversation with Luke and I I want to see her come to grips with what befell her friend and then you know his final moments uh, and you know kind of like a similar thing with uh, the kind of uh, reaction that Leia had, you know, or, or you know like neither of these characters were able to to see this redemption, but Luke telling them about it, how does that affect them? I love the way it affects Leia as far as like, great, yeah, you had a great connection with your father and you uh, you guys spent a lot of time together for better or worse. <laughs> uh, he tortured me for a bit and tried to kill me a couple of times. So, you know, I, I don't really have- blew up my parents. And yeah, and my entire planet. So not not a, a, as big of a fan of, of him. Luke, glad you were able to save him in his final moments, but I'm curious to see how Ahsoka's reaction is to that and if there is an underlying reason why she's seeking out Thrawn and Ezra beyond just they deserve to be found or if there's like a deeper kind of underlying reason for that. I understand how uh, for sure how you're kind of like, I don't really have a good answer because it is intentionally vague. Uh, Rosario yeah. Dawson kind of mentions that as far as like, yeah, well, we what we've seen of her doesn't really give you too many clues. And I, I think that's definitely intentional from uh, from Filoni here. So I definitely want to well, move I on to like um, it. That's what <laughs> I don't like it what are you hiding under that hat dave okay (laughs) you've got tricks up your sleeve and under your hat and we want to know we want to know uh we've also got some uh, quotes here as i said from uh, natasha liu bordizio about sabine being a a flawed character in the upcoming series uh she talks about some of the mistakes that she's made uh does that excite you that we're going to be seeing uh, be seeing a uh more maybe a more complex portrayal of sabine and someone who uh maybe is still trying to find her kind of like moral footing in all of this yeah because the idea that i have of sabine is is you know i think the the most clear uh definition of her moral side her kind of you know where is she at in her in her knowledge of who she is and and what role she plays um is when she is uh training with the dark saber and mm-hmm. has to grapple with that because that's her heritage. It's her culture. And what implication does that have uh, on on their, you know, their team? What implication does it have on her? And where does it fit in the grander story of her as a rebel? Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that I love is that I, I understand that, you know, that this, this quote kind of Im- implies, oh, well, you know, Sabine is is not perfect but she tries and i think that that's a i mean that's a fair way of putting it but i can kind of see past that and say yeah like that's you know maybe it sounds like a bad thing but no that's a 
it's like a really good thing because that's pretty true to her character that she is pretty um she is pretty brave and at the same time she still has a lot to learn um rebels ending with sabine kind of having grown into that um that we see is really just awesome because you know we get a clear picture of okay great where did you know where is she going to go in terms of being somewhat in charge of some of these things now where is she going to go in terms of not just being uh you know under this team but but having some agency here um and beyond that how much more can you learn um what mm-hmm. else is she going to learn along the way so you know flaws yes but more along the sense of you know having somebody to be somewhat of a mentor to her um is yeah. something that i'm very very excited to see in that relationship of sabine and ahsoka yeah and i mean think thinking about what we saw at star wars celebration as far as the footage of mando season three specifically i think that dave and john are definitely headed in a direction of telling the story surrounding mandalore and considering what happened to mandalore i'm very curious to see how that is portrayed by sabine how did this journey you know from a new hope to return of the jedi and uh having the dark saber and uh and uh with uh, bo katan and and how did that all transpire of you know eventually this horrible tragedy that that befell mandalore and how does that affect her and does she blame herself to some degree for for what happened to her home uh, and maybe she aligned her trust with some people who didn't necessarily earn that. So I'm very fascinated to see uh, to see all of that. And Sabine is such a, a beloved character. So I'm so excited to see uh, Natasha uh, fill these uh, pretty big shoes because uh, uh, this is uh, uh, definitely a fan favorite of yours and eyes as well. Uh, and I'm so excited for uh, people to uh, eventually meet her. And I, I uh, big fan of complex characters in Star Wars. That's always uh, exciting and fun to see. And even it's sometimes kind of frustrating that you wish that these characters were make, would make kind of uh, better decisions. But I think it really takes you on kind of this uh, uh, emotional journey here. So I also wanted to uh, kind of get your thoughts here that uh, the last quote that we have uh, for this uh, these uh, uh, interview regarding the Ahsoka series, she says, it's uh, great for audiences to have seen Rebels beforehand. And we've but we've got a standalone chapter as it is is that something that surprised you did you expect to see kind of it's like yeah you're obviously going to be able to be benefited if you've seen the rebel series but it's not necessarily required reading is that a little bit disappointing for you or kind of what's your reaction to this um it's one of those things that you know we've we've mentioned a lot kind of uh star wars explains you know upside down pyramid uh what's mm-hmm. it called a funnel, a cone, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, the upside down triangle of the of the media intake and, and the audience uh, that this that these mm-hmm. things have. Um, and again, we brought it up before. This is just not something that everyone has has dove into, right? Um, so kind of getting the idea of this show as Disney Plus is growing as a service and as these stories are growing in importance um, Mm -hmm. and and recognition, I don't see a lot of people going back and watching Rebels uh, before Ahsoka comes out if they haven't seen it Um, Mm -hmm. because I think the standard quo is I can go into this and not have seen those things um, yeah. f- for a lot of this because Disney Plus, because of the nature of it, is saying, yeah, I mean, we're trying to garner something that you can just pick up, right? Yeah. Um, where 
episode, you know, Star Wars episode nine, you're going to have to have seen a few of them maybe uh, to kind of understand what's going on. All of them? No, not necessarily, but a few of them, right? Yeah. Um, But, you know, Rebels is something that is going to really get a little bit more. It's It's got that barrier of animation. It's got that barrier of TV show. It's, you know, being multiple seasons and, um, and that sort of thing. So not surprised at all that this is something that they can say, yeah, we'll pretty much kind of explain everything at the beginning of this. So that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's judging by kind of the precedent that's been set by a lot of Star Wars uh, live action television is it, that seems pretty on brand is that obviously they're going to want to cast the widest net possible and to have everybody kind of included on what's going on. However, if you've read the comic books or you've uh, watched the TV shows or whatever the case may be, when Black Chrysanthemum shows up and you go, oh, my God, look at that. And then somebody's like, what? You know, a big, scary Wookiee. Who is that? You know, you're both kind of getting the same you know, the same story of that is a threat and they are a big Wookiee and they're spooky, you know, like, but having that knowledge of like, oh, I know how he got that scar and stuff like that. It kind of enhances the, the experience, but it's not required reading. And and to me, I've always kind of uh, been a cheerleader for as far as like Star Wars canon is concerned is that like the books and the comics and all of these uh, other kind of ancillary materials are supposed to kind of supplement not substitute the story um, I guess with television I suppose it's maybe a little teeny weensy bit different because this is a spinoff show of a character from that originated from these uh, other shows but I think I, I have plenty of faith in, in what we've seen up to this point in that you know when you see Bo-Katan show up if you don't know who she is now you get to be introduced to her and have this other story however if you have all of this knowledge of what this character has gone through up to this point that only serves to enrich and uh, make this character even more layered so um, I think some people might be a little bit nervous because of this quote but I don't really think it's it's that big of a deal they've done a I think a pretty super job of uh, rewarding the fans who have seen these shows or um, have uh, followed these characters for again about 15 years now especially with Ahsoka and uh, I don't think Ahsoka the series is going to be any different yeah I, I agree but you will catch us uh, re-watching Rebels most likely uh, before oh, Ahsoka sure. drops. That's 100% going to happen. I'm telling you, man, I have had itchy fingers on the Roku <laughs> remote. I'm like flipping through, oh, what am I going to watch tonight? And like, you know, there's a few episodes of Star Wars Rebels does sound pretty nice right now. But I, I am looking forward to eventually when we do kind of take that dive and we're going to have to do some planning because that's a, that's a lot of stuff to talk about. It you definitely know, might have to, is, yeah. Might have to break it up into chunks and do different arcs or something like that but i'm definitely looking forward into uh, doing a rebels rewind a big rebels deep dive yeah that that's something that will definitely have to happen here on this show because i've said it before my dad has rewatched it like i think he rewatched it back to back like i think he was like i think i want to watch all of rebels and then immediately as it ended he was like i think i need to watch that again damn uh, we're gonna get rob on the show just get his <laughs> thoughts hey get, man get... <laughs> he would he would love that he would absolutely love it rebels rewind with rob <laughs> uh can't wait can't wait so uh until then no until we see ahsoka we've got some details here on skeleton crew 
Uh, we first learned of this series at Star Wars Celebration 2022, where Lucasfilm confirmed that Spider-Man No Way Home director John Watts is working on a new live-action Star Wars series for Disney+, Plus, which is titled Skeleton Crew. Uh, Christopher uh, Ford, who co-wrote Spider-Man Homecoming and Chaos Walking, will be a writer and an executive producer on the series as well. Uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni are also on board as executive producers. Uh, this series, set in the Mandalorian era, uh, era, will follow a group of kids who got lost in wild space. Uh, in this show, I, did I say it started filming? Did I, did yeah, I mention that? I, okay. Well, I did, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I just making sure I I, I uh, didn't you know skip the headline there. Anyway, Skeleton Crew, it's filming, uh, and based on the uh, start date of the production, we can kind of estimate that you know maybe tentatively a release window for this series might fall in between kind of late spring, early summer uh, for uh, uh, 2023, or excuse me, late late summer, early fall for 2023, uh, based on some uh, the release dates of prior shows, of when they wrapped filming, when the show actually eventually kind of came out. So no, we do not have an official release date for the series, but we do kind of have uh, enough enough smoke to, to assume that there is fire here. So Noah, Skeleton Crew, it is underway. Cameras are rolling. Well, are you excited? Yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you think about the idea that literally in the span of like a couple months, it was like, guess what? We're doing this thing. Isn't that crazy? It's filming where it's, we're going like, first of all, props for, for keeping this kind of tight lipped, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for uh, whoever's in charge of that thing, whoever's in charge of not dropping the ball. Um, yeah. Props for the tight lips. Uh, but I, I, it's, it, it is exciting. And I, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about kind of the prospects for this show. Um, and I did, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I did, uh, finally get around to watching, uh, all of stranger things season four. Um, and I think, I think I was just in time to finish it, uh, the weekend that volume two was released. So I kind of had nice. like the whole thing and it's been not just Stranger Things, but the, the idea of that has been on my mind a lot recently um, because, you know, watching that is, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. I think it's, uh, it's very fun, um, mm-hmm. but it does bring me back to a little bit of the, uh, the Goonie style things that we have seen in the modern era. Um, and Garrett, I don't know if you know this, but one of my favorite movies of all time is Super 8 by J.J. Abrams. I think I've heard you mention um, that once or twice. Yeah. And that to me has, I think, the most modern Goonies energy of something besides like Stranger Things season one. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's something that I'm certainly looking forward to because we're kind of in this era of praising that sort of thing because of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the... I think that the the passion from the audience will be there. Uh, I just hope that the actual audience is there. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. how do you feel about things? I don't know. I you had mentioned up top about how you were. It was kind of like whiplash of like, oh, the series is happening and it's filming right now yeah. and it comes out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, but no. I mean, I do kind of love that 
kind of not release strategy because I definitely want there to be some buildup for the show. But I love that they are maybe holding off on announcing some things when it is for sure 100% happening, you know, versus some other projects that have been announced like two or three years ago. And we're like, when are they filming this again? Is is Rogue Squadron still coming out? You know, I do like that. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, we've got go picture and we are camera rolling next month. You know, I, I, I do kind of like that as much. In it. We don't even know who's in it besides Mr. Law. We got Jude Law. That is about it. When you said Mr. Law, I had a, uh, there was a, a high school basketball coach at the school that I went to. His name was Mr. Law. And now I'm thinking of like, oh man, Mr. Law, Star Wars? He no made way. It. He made it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we know Jude Law is in this, but that's that's really about he it. Is so. the skeleton crew. That's him. It's just one man required to fly this ship. That's all we need. Uh, but yeah, I, I do kind of like this, you know, delayed release strategy, even though it's, uh, you know, it kind of limits maybe the excitement building up to that. You know, I, I definitely think that, that they're uh, for sure going to be rolling out the uh, the red carpet when this uh, show is ready to debut. And I definitely think a lot of trailers and, and buzz for this is required because it's not an Ahsoka series, an Obi-Wan series or something like that. It's kind of like an original quote unquote original Star Wars production of new characters, new story, uh, not necessarily like a new era in the timeline, but uh, getting to spend time with different uh, corners of the galaxy. So I definitely am hoping that fans also are receptive and open to this. We've already talked about plenty of the 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 kids of it all and, and wanting to protect these kids and understanding the importance of that. But beyond that, I am I've I've seen a lot of Star Wars fans become frustrated with, uh, oh, we're getting another Ahsoka series. Oh, there's Saw Gerrera again. Oh, we're going back to Tatooine again. So I'm kind of hoping that they show that same energy, but for support in this series, because it is in kind of a, yes, familiar era, but with different characters exploring different genres and different kind of uh, flavors of Star Wars. So I uh, don't have a lot of faith <laughs> in a lot of Star Wars fans uh, sometimes, but I'm, I'm hoping that they are um, as equally excited for this series as I am, because I, I like that we're not really able to theorize very much as far as like, yeah, we can kind of assume what the tone of this will be. They 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 mention like Amblin and uh, uh, Super 8 is obviously kind of an Amblin homage and an E.T. homage and things like that. So, you know, Goonies, Super 8, uh, 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 Stranger Things, that kind of flavor of storytelling, I think, uh, but in Star Wars could be really exciting. So I'm, I'm thrilled that they're starting uh, production right now, even if it means that uh, a 2023 release date for the Acolyte is seeming more and more or less and less likely um it's fine give that give that show the space it deserves take as much time on that as you want i really want them to to need that dough so to speak so acolyte you're gonna have to be on the back burner for a little bit but star wars skeleton crew best of luck to to the crew uh behind, to the to the crew yes, behind the skeleton crew. crew yeah exactly and i do think i i was trying to i was racking my brain because i was like oh there was a movie that i saw recently that i I couldn't remember what it was, but I was like, they're trying to do Goonies. They're trying to do Goonies, but they're doing it very badly. Uh, it was the black phone. Uh, I think that the black phone sucks very, very much. Uh, we, me and you didn't get a chance to talk about it. We've not talked about, uh, yeah, some of the, some of the more recent movies, but they do this Goonies thing where it's like the kids are all beating each other up and swearing all the time. And they're, you know, like 
ignoring their adults and mm-hmm. things and yeah and and doing that and i'm like okay we're in a weird you know amblin style like revival of things uh and that's all i had hmm. to say about that i hate the black phone so i also was not a huge fan of the black phone but i didn't get a lot of uh goonies vibes i got more like stephen king kind of vibes i can uh, see, in yeah, that. And, yeah 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 a little bit more of like like it or something like that you know that that kind of that well, energy a little bit more that, than goonies uh stephen king's son wrote the short yes. story yes yes uh, of course and his <laughs> i thought it was so funny that his pen name is not uh with Stephen King's last name because his first name is Joe uh, and his name would be Joe King. Uh, Joe King. (laughs) His pen name should just be Stephen King's son. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why not? Sure. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Black Phone, different conversation for a different day. I could uh, I could go on and on about that one, but uh, we don't have the time. We just simply do not. Do uh, not. But Skeleton Crew, very excited to see some more. Uh, should be pretty soon now. We might get like a photo or, you know, concept art something like that i need please excuse me please i, I need something i need i need little uh little crumbs to 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 chew and to to morsel on because uh very excited for skeleton crew and i hope star wars fans are uh receptive to new exciting forms of storytelling in star wars who would have thought who would have thought uh noah light and magic documentary trailer has been released uh this is the official trailer for uh the six-part documentary series which will dive into the creation of Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, and how it has since evolved into the most influential special effects company in cinematic history. Uh, Along with the trailer, a poster has dropped for the series, which will be directed by Lawrence Kasdan and executive produced by Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. Uh, Noah, this series will premiere July 27th on Disney Plus, so just a couple of weeks from now. Uh, did you get a, uh, an opportunity to look at this trailer for Light and Magic? I sure did. It kind of popped up and like out of nowhere. I was like, wait, 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 what? What is this? I see, I see George Lucas on a thumbnail. It's the algorithm, my, buddy. My it's YouTube. the algorithm. Yeah, They're listening. It sure is. Um, so I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is this? And I gotta say, it's. Um, <laughs> are we going for for like initial reactions here because i had an initial reaction to where sure. i'm like oh this is so sweet this is so nice and sweet and mm-hmm. i'll listen to george lucas talk about anything for as long as he wants yeah and then there's a bit in there's a bit in the trailer um with kathleen kennedy and i was like oh no oh no people are gonna get mad now <laughs> oh i see what you're saying yeah you know, talking about these documentary series where it's just like let the, you know like obviously we're gonna let the people that are important talk about this thing but as soon as kathleen kennedy shows her face everybody's gonna be like well there it is another advertisement for you know even though even though kathleen kennedy has had like a very tied career with george lucas and has also been making movies with ilm for like don't say (laughs) decades now it's not she hasn't just started she didn't just like you know appear from the walls as soon as <laughs> disney uh purchased star wars no she's been making movies for uh and making good movies mind you for a very long time yeah. so that, uh that yeah i definitely understand yeah, yeah i was yeah i, I was just i definitely like, understand your uh but... to when you when you see kathleen kennedy not as far as like 
oh, gross, but more of just like, oh, God, Star Wars fans are going to be upset. <laughs> and it's funny because exactly. she literally just shows up and she could just like say a syllable and people are going to like make the thumbnails with the red glowing eyes and throw Brie Larson in there for some reason, too. Why so, not? yeah. Sure. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> did, uh, the Light and Magic trailer, you said it was sweet. Uh, did it pull on any other kind of a heartstring emotions? Are you excited to see this series? It's, it's one of those things where um, there's there's a quote uh during during that trailer and i forget who says it um but they it's essentially um movies are special effects um not just there are special effects in movies but movies Mm -hmm. are special effects because they are pulling together all these uh, all these elements to make you believe something um that's you know obviously i'm as i'm sure we'll hear is part of the the idea behind what what George Lucas had in mind and saying, well, yeah. we have to make this thing, and there's not really a thing to do here, so we have to make a a company to do yeah. th- in order to do this. Just thing. crazy. It's, it's crazy. such an engineer's yeah. brain type thing where it's like, yeah. there's a problem, and I don't have the tool to solve it. I'm gonna go make that tool really quickly. Yeah, it's um, insane. So yeah. that that to me was like, man, being able to look at movies like this. Um, and, and honestly, and I'm not trying to be like nitpicky and uh, about things that we get these days, but they were different times and I'm excited to look at different times and see what was the visual effects process like, uh, for these things. Obviously ILM has their, you know, their little fingies in just about everything that we see every year in terms of visual effects, but at a certain level, there is really this pedestal where, you know, this pedestal that holds something like the boulder from Indiana Jones, right? Or the the blue screen from A New Hope. And yeah. those sort of things are held in this higher light that it's like, okay, I'm I'm okay with kind of just admiring these these older techniques, these mm-hmm. these pioneering events. Um and being able to sit in that for yeah. something like six hours, close to six hours, sure, count me in. That's the stuff right there, man. Six-hour Star Wars special effects documentary. Well, not Star Wars, ILM special effects documentary. That's that's the stuff right there. And, yeah, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is, and I, I don't say this to, like, toot my own horn, but I, I feel like myself, as well as a lot of other Star Wars fans, like, have a pretty good idea of, like, the techniques and things that were invented for A New Hope, for example, of, like, motion control rigs and these matte paintings and these models and the visual style and the language that George wanted to use of being uh, like this hyper used future that it's not sleek and chrome every there's things with grease and fingerprints and scratches and burn marks and you know making it look lived in and and you know the motion control rigs and the models and all that kind of stuff all of that has been very well documented and uh, is is known by a lot of Star Wars fans the thing that I'm excited for this to capture is kind of what you were talking about is that spirit that George Lucas had of I want to do this thing it doesn't exist yet So I'm going to try to make it, you know, like I'm going to try to use the tools I do have at my disposal to make this thing and invent this thing that, uh, you know, kind of snowballed into literally Pixar. You know, that's (laughs) just crazy. Like that's the Star Wars didn't just, you know, invent uh, toys and and lunchboxes and stuff like that. It was this uh, huge 
kind of uh, a tree of events that and domino effect that just led and bled into so many other things. I'm really excited for this documentary to capture that spirit and that creative spirit of not just George Lucas, but a lot of those other pioneers who did work at ILM and like Phil Tippett and people like that who are these geniuses and who changed movie making forever. But I'm also so uh, really hoping that this explores like prequel era ILM too, because that was also like a very revolutionary time and Jar Jar and Ahmed Best and what they were able to accomplish with uh, the uh, the emotion capture performance uh, in the in the Phantom Menace specifically. So I'm really hoping that that will offer like a very in-depth look on things. And I'm so glad to hear that this is going to be like a six part documentary series as opposed to something like. You know, I like it for what it is, but something like Under the Helmet or, you know, the Star Tours documentary, I like them (laughs) and I think that they're well made for what they are. But being able to spend six hours and really dive into the people beyond just kind of the broad stroke impact of something like ILM, I love that we are able to to really dive deep into how this company was made, what it does now, how it changed filmmaking, and the the people and the names and the faces uh, behind all of those choices. So um, I can't wait to see this. And yeah, I, I think the trailer does such a great job of capturing the the you know it sounds corny but the magic of the special effects that are behind these movies and the fact that this technology didn't exist back then and they had to be incredibly creative about that george had this vision in their mind and how are we going to use the technology of the mid to late 1970s in order to bring these ideas in his head and bring it to life in a way that is practical and looks good on camera so i can't wait to uh to see this but uh along with the trailer no like i said we also got a poster for light and magic uh what do you think of this poster here it is such a such a cool little poster because it looks like something that is it looks like something that's like edited together to be this kind of interactive like art piece when really this is just a storyboard table like Mm -hmm. it looks it looks so uh so magical when it really is just the like the process the raw process um and it just it show it showcases kind of the um i i mean the the rawness of it is people sitting around a desk and and working on this with their bare hands right totally yeah i love the composition of it all and how it has like this using the white space of the, yeah. I, uh, the I don't there is probably a name for it but the table that has like the light under it like so you can see these kind of um this transparent paper and this this like kind of wax paper look and the blueprints of all of these but also seeing the models of these ships and kind of the early makeshift you know uh things that are cobbled together and the greebling and all those kind of words there I can't wait to see uh, the the process of uh, of all of that stuff. And again, it's just such a clear way to illustrate. George is like, all right, I've got this drawing of this ship that I want. <laughs> make it possible. Make yeah. it so I can I can film it and I could have a person sit inside of it and I could also sell action figures from it. So I can't wait to see all of that stuff. So um, I, I, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's been there's something that I've been wanting to say. I think since we started this podcast. Um, and it's never fit in, I think, until now. But okay. here's how I want to phrase this, okay? If, listener, 
if you are on the fence about watching this documentary in terms of like, I don't mm-hmm. really watch documentaries. Six hours of something is a lot to get into. And I don't really like behind the scenes stuff. And it's not even that special anyways. I don't think that this looks very good or I don't like the way that this looks. How can this be something that can be appreciated? Garrett, have you seen The Last Starfighter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get. I know what you're going to say as far as like, you watch that and you're like, oh shit, like this is what was coming out around then. The like- Last Starfighter is one of the most horrendous movies I think I've ever seen. And I, I like people are like, oh no, no, no. It was it was the time, right? This came out a long time ago. It just things didn't yeah. look that good. This the last Starfighter came out in 1984. And it looks like absolute dog poo poo. It looks yeah, like it, so yeah. bad. It is funny to watch like a movie that is trying to kind of capture that spirit of Star Wars. And I think in watching it, it just makes the the what it's imitating being Star Wars feel so much special, yes. uh, so much more special yeah. and almost kind of like a magic trick of like. It's not just something that you can just replicate and you throw spaceships on a wall and that kind of those kind of ways that people like to talk down to Star Wars of just being like, oh, just pew, pew, pew and a bunch of silly nonsense. It's like, well, I'm not saying that Star- Last Starfighter is just silly nonsense. It's been a minute since I've seen it. I think it could be kind of funny to revisit, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but just this idea of, oh, if you just have lights and, and bright colors and uh, spaceships, kids will love it and it'll be the kind of the same thing because it's not. It's really not. And look yeah. at something like The Last Starfighter, which. I'm sure holds a, a, a bright uh, a place in people's heart. To me, the last Starfighter has always been like the discount brand of Star Wars. You know, absolutely yes. To where you have like Lego, and then you have like just you know, uh, like whatever like the play school bricks or, are. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I, it's one of those things where I look at it. I'm just like, I understand that you can look at Star Wars and say, yeah, yeah it's it's old. It doesn't really click with me. I can tell it's not real. But yeah. Just watch something like The Last Starfighter and and tell me that what George Lucas was able to do, what ILM was able to do is not yeah. pure magic. That's that's all I have to say. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, to see this and then maybe also go back and watch The Last Starfighter. We might I, have to be talking about that on the show. I would love to do that. See, I know we're definitely going to be doing Willow 100% yeah, of course, of course. Uh, because we, ha- we have to. Uh, and then maybe the Indiana Jones movies when uh, when uh, the new one comes out. But now I'm just kind of like, should we just do a Last Starfighter episode? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I actually own that movie, so I'd be very excited to take another crack at that one, to take another look. So, uh, yeah, that could be a fun conversation uh, for another day. Uh, but until we have that conversation, Noah, Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie will reportedly begin filming in early 2023. Uh, according to THR, uh, Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie, cameras will be rolling sooner than we initially thought. We talked last week about um, uh, the, the fact that this movie will not be filming uh, this year, which seems to be confirmed by THR's reporting here, and that it will begin filming next year. Um, I, di- I didn't really want to spend too much time on this news story because we kind of said what we wanted to say last week, yeah. but I did want to talk about kind of our maybe altered 
feelings on this if they are altered at all and kind of just talk through some of these things that I'm honestly like still kind of processing still kind of feeling right now uh, because Thor Love and Thunder the newest installment into the Marvel Cinematic Universe has hit theaters all across the world to varying d disagreements and and uh, you know love and praise right now it's uh, let me see exactly what this movie is is rocking on lot on Rotten Tomatoes uh, but this film seems to be kind of splitting fans, you know, right down the middle here. Uh, yeah, it's currently uh, rocking a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes with a uh, uh, a critic or a um, audience score of 80%. Um, which is which is pretty good, but 67% is a little low for the MCU. So I just kind of wanted to get your initial kind of reactions and review of Thor Love and Thunder, just, a, a, you know, aside from the Star Wars of it all, so we can kind of uh, provide some context uh, for our conversation that we're going to have. So here's kind of the thing. I came out of the theater uh, kind of confused and... Mostly not, you know, not, not confused about the movie. It's not a confusing movie. Confused about kind of my feelings towards the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general. Um, because I was very much not a fan of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I was pretty lukewarm on Moon Knight so far as to I did not even watch the final episode uh, and I could not bear to sit down and watch Miss Marvel because of those things as they were so this is something that I was like okay I, I have been excited for for Thor Love and Thunder for a while it was my most anticipated new thing of kind of these you know, the, the new phase of Marvel is my most anticipated thing. But after a string of things I'm being told that I have to care about, I came out a little bit, I think, drained. And part of that was that this movie is not, you know, it's not just balls to the wall awesome. It's not, it didn't blow me away. And I wasn't sure how I felt in terms of, well, it's the newest Marvel thing. I should be, you know, pretty ecstatic about this, or I can really say, boy, that was horrible, hated it, and, you know, makes me so, so angry that I'm going to go, you know, complain to everybody on Reddit and TikTok and blah, blah, blah. I just, I'm, I'm so burnt out. I'm so burnt out, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, and I obviously that that's a separate thing from what this means in terms of my feeling towards Taika Waititi as a writer and director. Um, so it's an interesting dichotomy because I'm still absolutely thrilled that he's helming a Star Wars project, um, but I have to work through these feelings first yeah. on this movie. You know what I do? You know what I mean? Well, I think it's it's interesting because. I'll put a pin and and what you had just said and kind of just give yeah, my yeah, thoughts yeah. on the movie. I, I was going to review this movie. I actually had written and filmed a review that I was going to post on TikTok and YouTube. And yes, I did get very busy and I did. Yes, I did not have an opportunity to film it beyond like, OK, it's Monday night and I can finally get to work on this. So it was just kind of like ah, maybe too little too late kind of thing. But then it also was I kind of was at peace with it because 
the conversation on this movie I was just so tired with and I don't think it's Thor Love and Thunder specifically I just felt like it's just kind of the straw that you know broke my camel me I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a camel broke my back I'm just so like if my flame was kind of wavering this did not stoke the flame for my excitement for Marvel. It didn't fully extinguish it as far as like, I don't care about Marvel and I'm not watching any more of their things. Uh, I was just, I'm just kind of like, all right. Like I did watch moon Knight. I've I'm, I have not watched the finale of, of miss Marvel or the, the newest episode of miss Marvel. I am enjoying miss Marvel. Um, I think it's a pretty good show. I like it. Um, but even it's this movie, is now making me even question whether or not I have liked a lot of the MCU movies up to this point um, to where I'm going back and I'm kind of like, I rewatched Thor Ragnarok before this came out and I was like, oh, I do not like this as much as I did. Like, I think I was at like an eight or a nine before I had seen, uh, before I'd rewatched it and I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters and now I was at like a crisp like seven uh, just because... I don't know if it's a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of symptom of me just growing more and more tired uh, with these movies, or if it's a sense of like, I don't know if the Marvel movies are getting worse, therefore I am not caring about them as much, or if it's, I'm not caring about these movies because they are getting worse, you know? Um, I just, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Um, and then to kind of talk about, I guess my my feelings on the movie specifically, I just I I don't think a lot of the the character stuff really worked for me. There is a lot of missed opportunities with certain characters that I would have liked to have spent a lot more time with. I think the movie visually uh, and stylistically is not interesting. I think the only distinguishing traits of the film stylistically are in the dialogue and the characters and the humor of the movie. I think visually it doesn't have a distinct style. It doesn't really feel like it's directed by anybody, which I think a lot of Marvel movies can suffer from. Um, I think that there are some interesting locations and set pieces and ideas uh, in this, uh, but I think the action on the whole uh, lacks cohesion. I think it's confusing. Uh, it doesn't the geography of a lot of these action set pieces don't doesn't really feel well understood. I'm not sure where certain characters are in relation to one, one another. There's a lot of uh, just kind of the language of the movie can be a little messy, uh, messy sometimes as far as like the visual language language of the movie. For example, there's a scene to where I don't remember the exact location, but they go to kind of like an Olympus god realm, what it's called, the land of something. Oh, uh, omnipotent city. Yes. That's what it is. Yes. yes. And they are fighting these like security de deity gods that are like protecting Zeus. These these beings are all golden and metallic and when you cut them open they also bleed gold so just something like that as far as like i everything is very messy and confusing because they are gold looking people and then they also bleed gold which is not like the the look of those two colors isn't able to distinguish one another so it just feels kind of kind of confusing but above all i think that this movie just doesn't have the same heart um, as some of Taika's prior movies, um, and oh my God, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily even feel 
uh, in line with some of the other Marvel movies. Uh, but it also feels like every Marvel movie that they've made to the degree that one of the lines in the movie is like a parody that TikTokers have like made fun of as far as like the Marvel dialogue of saying like, oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? Is That's literally like a TikTok joke and it's actually in the movie and people are yep. like, oh my God, we manifested this. <laughs> um, all of that to say you had said like you're still excited that Taika is making a Star Wars movie. I think right now, today, the day of recording, I am not excited. Um, and I don't want it to be a, uh, a symptom of, oh, uh, you know, uh, this filmmaker made a bad movie. Let's press the panic button and cancel this because I do think Taika is a, has the capability of being a talented filmmaker. I really like Hunt for the Wilder People. I really like Jojo Rabbit. I really like uh, what we do in the shadows. Um, the TV show is also a lot of fun. I haven't watched uh, uh, the uh, the other show that he's got going on right now, the pirate one. Um, I haven't watched that show oh, yet. yeah. I haven't given that show a chance. Uh, and then there's also the uh, uh, Indigenous American like reservation show that I, I haven't uh, given a chance uh, yet either. So I'm sure in watching those, that would kind of stoke my excitement uh, for what he could bring to Star Wars. But I think it's worth saying that a lot of those projects are lower budget, a lot more character driven as a far as in not spectacle driven. You know, this is like a spectacle driven fantasy slash kind of sci-fi, but mostly fantasy uh, adventure action movie, which does share a lot of similar DNA with Star Wars. And if this is anything, this or Thor Ragnarok, mind you, is anything to, uh, you know, kind of give read the tea leaves on what we can expect with with his uh, upcoming Star Wars movie. I just don't really know if I'm super excited. I don't know mm -hmm. because we have seen him direct a Star Wars project before. But now I'm kind of thinking of like. Well, maybe he's just trying to fit into what John and Dave had established prior. And like that was the last episode of the season. So maybe he's just kind of following suit. I don't know. I, I like I said, I'm still kind of processing a lot of these feelings because I'm just a little I feel a little uh, uh, I feel a little betrayed, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely understand that. And it, it is worth mentioning that, like in my head, I'm thinking, great, you know, we get these projects that are distinctively Taika, you know, Taika's thing, but they are distinctively their own thing as well. Um, something like Ragnarok or Love and Thunder have that flavor, but yes, they suffer from the, you know, it's, it's half of it is directed by that person. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, I think that you're right. It's worth mentioning that his ability to create tone is something that I am you know, so envious of in a storytelling perspective of being able to, I mean, I really cherish um, the experience that I had watching boy for the first time. Yeah. And looking at something like that where, where I'm thinking in my head, this is distinctly, you know, it's distinctly him uh, as him as you can get just about. Um, it, but it is still different from something like Hunt for the Wilder People, where that has his his uh, you know flavor of comedy in it, but it still has the heart. Um, and Boy is not supposed to be you know very funny. It's supposed to be a little bit more dramatic, a little bit more serious. And 
seeing something like that and saying, yeah, he's, he's good with tone. He's good with tone and, and he is, you know, diverse in tone. Mm -hmm. That's great. You're, you know, but you're right. Something like Thor love and thunder is going to stylistically share a lot of similarities. So if we're looking at it from that perspective, then how close are we already to what we might eventually see? And I think you're right. That is something that, um, that is a little bit alarming for me. Um, and, and I definitely understand that, you know, there's a place to be where it's, you know, I'm, I'm mostly worried about this and less, less than excited, mostly worried. Um, and I hate to, to say, you know, I hate, I would hate to discount him. I know that's not, that's obviously not what you're saying at all. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It's, it's complicated. Um, but I do think that, I think that the biggest fault here, at least what I'm telling myself is that my feelings on it are like 50% the fact that, that these movies are now only half directed by a person. Um, and then the other 50% is honestly, I think it is the social media and fan reaction and inflation of these things. I do think that my, if I had to put a finger on it, um, my decline, I think started with the hype for no way home. Um, yeah. And I came out of the theater loving it, but you know, the, the wake that it left was just so, so overwhelming and mind numbing. And yeah, just, you know, the fact that that's the, that stuff about no way home continued until, God, I want to say probably until Batman came out. Yeah. Yeah, Until Batman came out. And then that was the thing. Yeah. Because, and part of it was like, I, I went out of my way. I I think I talked about this. I went out of my way and I bought, I bought a new Spider-Man suit. Like I had a Spider-Man costume that I really loved and I was like, I should get a new one. And I did. And it wasn't because I wanted to, you know, fit in with all the TikTokers and whatnot, but it was because the hype was so, so high and after that, I was like, okay, can we be done talking about this for a while? Mm-hmm. And then Batman was talked to death. And then, you know, one thing after the other. So I, I do think we're at a place where I'd love to see something that I can point to and say, yes, this is fully 100% what I can see of Taika Waititi's ability to tell a story. Um, now, you know, after Jojo rabbit, after hunt for the wilder people, after, you know, all these seasons of what we do in the shadows. So yeah, I, I, it's a hard consensus to come to because my feelings on Thor love and thunder are not fully digested. I think, you know, yeah, I will say though that like uh, something that a lot of fans are upset with, and you mentioned tone, uh, a lot of fans are upset with in regards to Thor Love and Thunder is the tone and that it is very comedic. And as a result, some of the um, some of the more, uh, you know, heart uh, kind of uh, heartstring pulling moments and some of the themes of the film as far as like cancer and, you know, the death of a child and things like that can be maybe a little sacrificed or dwindled a little bit. I don't think that that's like a huge issue for me. Um, the the humor, the humor and tragedy and sadness are often ideas and and 
uh, tones that often bump up against one another. I mean, I think a good example of that is Jojo Rabbit. You know, it's a movie that deals with, you know, the Holocaust and Nazis, but it's a comedy. You know, you can't really get a more serious topic than the Holocaust and the fact that that is a comedy, mind you, a very funny one, too. Um, I think doesn't necessarily those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, I think it's just giving those those moments their their room to breathe, and I think that that's maybe the 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 where, where fans can maybe didn't feel that this film give gave those moments enough time uh, or enough you know um, energy to breathe. And it's funny because like the tone wasn't necessarily my problem as far as like oh it's too comedic or whatever. It's just I didn't necessarily find this movie super funny. Um, I didn't the humor I just didn't it's not that I was like oh the sad moments aren't sad because you're throwing jokes around I was more of just like oh the jokes that you are throwing around I just didn't find it be very funny (laughs) Uh, and then I look at like what he did with the Mandalorian and a lot of the more comedic moments in those uh, in those series even though it's it's that episode's pretty limited as far as that's concerned Um, it's mostly like stormtroopers can't hit you know their target jokes which is like oh you know super original man you know you know what i mean like it's just jokes yeah. that we've we've heard yeah. for decades it's on t-shirts it's posters and memes and all those kind of things it just didn't feel super it felt kind of like punching down a little bit to me um but it's it is also so strange because i'm trying to talk about taika waititi and i'm like haven't watched two of the most beloved things that he's made in recent years um with those two series that he's that he's at yeah. least executive produced um but I also will say that I think it's worth noting that like this is a big budget action adventure fantasy film, which Star Wars also is. So I think it's a lot more apt or reasonable to compare this to what his Star Wars film will eventually be as opposed to something like Boy or Hunt for the Wilder People, because I don't think that those are going to be very similar <laughs> at all. You know, I hope not. I hope that it's I mean, I don't know what I would do with a star Wars movie that, uh, that felt like boy, you know, yeah, <laughs> that would be, that would be odd to say the least for sure. I did want to talk though about seeing Thor love and thunder. We can kind of talk, I, we can first say what we do think that this movie aligns with in star Wars. And then maybe talk about the things that, uh, don't quite work with star Wars, or at least are our kind of ideas of what star Wars is. Uh, were there anything or any elements to Thor 11 thunder that you thought, okay, that would totally fit within star Wars or something that you would like to see in his, uh, kind of, uh, portrayal of the galaxy far, far away. I do think that underneath some of the jokes and some of the, you know, the funny character interactions, I think if you dig deep enough, which I have seen people do, um, people that are very dedicated to, to the Marvel cinematic universe, if you dig deep enough, um, you get a lot of, uh, consistency in terms of character, uh, which I very much appreciate. And that's something that, um, that star Wars, you know, fans especially will absolutely bring down all hell um, if you're not kind of in line with consistency of character. So mm-hmm. I think that character choices and character growth um, are really strong in this in this movie um, with more characters than uh, with some characters more than others. Um, I do think that Valkyrie is incredibly underplayed in this film i think that korg gets way too much screen time and uh and dialogue because he is just kind of the 
oh, say this thing, and then Korg has a punchline. Yeah. Um, so I understand that. But in terms of consistency, obviously talking about someone like Thor, especially um, kind of seeing the the maturation of his character um, is something that I value and can see in other Star Wars projects. And then the other thing that, that I do think uh, this film does well that I would appreciate about a Star Wars film is it is very, very, um, it's very contained. It doesn't feel like it's sprawling. I can't necessarily say that this feels like it knows where it's going a hundred percent of the time, because I could tell you right now, um, I just saw this movie a few days ago and I could not give you a synopsis if my life depended on it. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I know that I walked out of it feeling like I got one full story and there weren't very many loose threads. There weren't things that didn't feel wrapped up to me. I feel like it was very contained and I liked that it was contained. It wasn't something that had all these massive ramifications. Those weren't the important things. It was starting at point a, you know, let's go through some peaks and valleys, get to point B. Um, and where are things different by the end? Um, that, you know, that ability to, to tell a complete story and to keep track of all these moving pieces is something that we have seen Star Wars films do well and do not so well. Um, you know, if there's, if there is one thing, it always comes back to this. If there is one thing that a modern Star Wars film has done that well, um, it's definitely Rogue One. Um, there isn't a single piece of that that feels untouched by the end. Um, and I think that Solo suffers from quite the opposite. There are so many things left on the table by the end of it. Um, and just to kind of compare, you know, compare this with what we might see, I think that Thor, Thor 4 does a wonderful job of keeping track of all of the pieces and, and telling something that feels very contained. So those are kind of the two things, because I was thinking about it when I came out of the theater. I was like, okay, how is this going to play out now? Um, mm -hmm. So those are a couple of the things that, that I came away with that said, you know, no, I, I could see these working out really well and working in in Taika Waititi's favor with, with a Star Wars project. Yeah, and I thought the same thing is in regards to like the containedness of it all. And I, I have been recently feeling a little bit nostalgic for like the era that of superhero movies that I kind of grew up in in regards to not I want to see Tobey Maguire be Spider-Man again, but no, like I do feel kind of uh, I uh, fond of the era of superhero movies to where it's like, all right, here's your superhero. They've got a bad guy to go up against. What do they learn about themselves? You know, to beating the bad guy into the movie. It's not like this. Oh, you got to watch this TV show and it connects to this thing and it's multiverse hopping all of this stuff and the, the world's going to end and all of these things. I kind of just liked when it's, you know, a superhero and a bad guy and they punch a little bit and the character learns like a truth about themselves. You know, I do like that about Thor is uh, it's just a villain about a guy or a movie about a villain who just like takes kids and Thor has to go rescue the kids. You know, like I, I'd like that. It felt very, it felt older, you know, it, it felt yeah. like Peter Pan going up against Captain Hook or something like that. Yeah. You know, I do like that kind of energy to it. So yeah, as far as Tyke is going to tell a star Wars movie and here's the story. And if people like it and if people want to see more, then we'll get a sequel, you know, and not, Oh, you better, you know, come back for the sequel because you've got all of these threads that aren't, are, you know, completely tied off. It's a 
of course you can leave some things open. Star Wars has always kind of done that. That you know, uh, my favorite Star Wars movie, Empire Strikes Back, ends on a cliffhanger. So not to say that that's not necessary, but you look at something like Star Wars, the first one. It's like okay, we told a story. It has a beginning and a middle and end. Uh, and if you want to see more, then you know, come pay your t- uh, your uh, your ticket, and we, maybe we'll get a uh, uh, another crack at this uh, the story with these characters. So I I do really like that. I also want to mention um, I loved the villain of this movie, Gore the God Butcher. I thought he did, uh, Christian Bale did such a great job at bringing this kind of maniacal menace to this role. Uh, I really also liked Hela uh, and Thor Ragnarok. So I think that uh, Taika has done a really good job as far as just the MCU is concerned of establishing really great villains. Uh, So hopefully that's something that we can also see in his Star Wars movie because Star Wars villains are obviously uh, in a very integral part to the story of Star Wars. So uh, if Hela and Gore are uh, any kind of uh, inclination on what we may or may not get in uh, Taika's Star Wars movie, uh, it, it does make me very hopeful that the antagonist of that film will be definitely memorable and uh, will stand on their own and and uh, stand tall against uh, you know some pretty <laughs> pretty intimidating say, yeah, there, uh, there's company not there. A lot of, there's not a lot of bad Star Wars villains, you know that like sure. it'd be it'd be pretty difficult to put together a ranked list uh, yeah. of Star Wars villains. Sure. So I I do think that the the competition is strong, but what Taika Waititi has to bring to the table there is is also very strong so yeah yeah i will say i also like how weird the movie can be at times like it's a strange movie and they go to strange worlds and they meet strange people and there's just kind of like an odd quality to a lot of the film um i really like that and that thor ragnarok also kind of leans into the strangeness of everything and that there's rainbow roads and you know uh there's giant wolf creatures and the hulk is fighting them on this rainbow road and all of that kind of strange stuff there um i do really like the 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 sense that taika has into leaning into all of that uh and he was interviewed and talking about his approach to star wars and he was saying that he's looking forward to exploring those corners and that maybe not take all of the stuff so seriously uh which i do agree is necessary in star wars but that also kind of brings me to what i want to ask you as far as what are things that you saw in this movie or thor ragnarok as well that you're kind of like oh i don't really know if that super fits into star wars if it is translated kind of one-to-one not you know assuming that taika will kind of change his style to make it fit within the world of star wars what are maybe some tea leaves that you can read as far as thor love and thunder are concerned that makes you kind of just go uh i don't really think that that fits quite well within the galaxy far far away well one of the things that i think concerned me the most was imagining when you know way back when if if y'all can remember when we first heard that Taika Waititi was going to be involved in a Star Wars project and we got that logo. Um, to me, I I think I was worried about the, I guess, the out there-ness of what it might look like visually only because, you know, we have seen so much diversity in terms of, of style in Star Wars. However, I do think that like, most of and this is not like a this is not purely a physical um perspective but from a directorial stylistic perspective um most of thor ragnarok does not look like it would slide right into 
some planet in a galaxy far, far away. And I understand that that might sound limiting and a little bit gatekeepy, but the fact of the matter is that like it or not, you know, you can get a certain level of weird, but there's kind of this invisible line of how what of what it still looks like um you get something like Dayu in obi-wan kenobi and there's only one comparison that we have in terms of some you know another place that looks like Dayu. but i think back to things like clone wars episodes where i think you know some of the weirdest planets that we get would be like christophsis or felucia where they have this distinct quality to them but they still fit into this style. So I'm wondering, I think, is there a line that that this may cross to say, are we going to look more like, you know, are we going to look more familiar or are we going to try to be a little bit more strange and out there? And is there is there a line that can be crossed to where it gets a little bit too out there? I think that in composition, um, neither of these movies look anything like what I would expect from a Star Wars film. So that's one thing I'm worried about. And I hate the fact that that sounds like I'm saying like, no, no, stay in the box. There's a box and you have to stay in it. But I think that there is at least a precedent for what we would expect from Star Wars in terms of everything kind of looking like it fits in the same place. Um, and that's not to say that we need another sand planet, but I don't know. That that's I think that's the thing I'm worried about is I have no idea what it would look like to cross the line, but I don't want to get there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I'm kind of looking at some of like the screenshots here from Thor Love and Thunder, and I, I I would be curious to look through the movie a little bit more closely. Um and I think that Taika has a bad habit of his action sequences have screen cap worthy moments to where there's a shot and it's like a silhouette and there's a sunset and there's lightning. And, you know, it looks almost kind of like Renaissance painting, you know, uh, uh, sort of there uh, that can, you know, be really uh, gorgeous. And it's often in these action set piece type of moments here. But when you just have characters standing and talking to one another, the movie looks very flat uh, and is pretty ugly. Um, I also just a lot of the design of of some of these movies as far as to like what this planet looks like um, is not just like terribly uh, attractive to me. Um, uh, As far as like the I've already forgotten what it what it is called, but the. uh, the the olympus kind of area omnipotent city omnipotent city uh i just don't it just doesn't look great to me you know (laughs) yeah Uh, i just am not a fan of the way uh all of that looks granted i i think you could absolutely pull screenshots from this movie and go like oh look how gorgeous this look look it's thor against the sunset or look it's this nice wide shot of thor you know fighting some big monster or whatever you want to say uh i just think that there are kind of an equal if not more so number of shots that are just quite ugly uh i think that that's not a 
uh, a complaint that is unique to Love and Thunder. I think that that's just kind of a Marvel issue recently uh, as far as they've just been making so many things that the quality control is just maybe a little limited. Um, I do think it is not gatekeepy at all to say that Star Wars has a distinct look and a distinct style. Marvel, you're able to be a little bit more loosey-goosey with it because... Guardians of the Galaxy is not going to look like Captain America. You know, I was Black just pa- about to say that they yeah, they yeah. opened the door. They yeah. really did. Black Panther is not going to look like a Thor Ragnarok or you know, a Shang Chi or something like that. They're going to look different because they have different influences and different styles at play there. Star Wars, however, is generally looks. You know, like it's it fits. It looks like it's in the same universe uh, or in the same galaxy, uh, and and that's a lot of that is because one guy kind of set the st- uh, set the tone for what everything would would look like. Does Last Jedi look visually similar to um, A New Hope? Not really. Um, the cinematography is quite different, but I just don't look at something like The Last Jedi or even Rise of Skywalker or The Force Awakens, which I think all of which are gorgeous movies uh even rides of skywalker which is not my favorite star wars movie i think is a beautiful looking movie last jedi is one of i think the best uh looking blockbusters of all time in my opinion just purely cin- uh, cinematography i think it's absolutely stunning uh and i just think based on what i saw in, in thor love and thunder it's just not it doesn't meet that kind of expectation that i think has been set by star wars uh and has will be set by it's got to be that it's the ne- next movie it's star wars is returned to the big screen and i want it to look big screen quality and to me i think thor love and thunder just wasn't quite up to um you know what my expectations would be uh for for star wars returning here so maybe again benefit of the doubt Marvel makes a lot of movies, you know, the quality control is maybe you know, a little bit more condensed and some of those CG shot shots aren't quite as polished as they, as they could be. But, uh, visually I want star Wars to look a little bit better than I think that this movie, uh, looks, um, I will say, uh, the humor that Taika also has, uh, in, in these movies, as well as a lot of his other movies, uh, a lot of it is very ad lib based. Uh, that's pretty publicized that this movie, as well as Thor Ragnarok, has a lot of ad lib moments. Um, to me, Star Wars is not a terribly quippy franchise. You know, a lot of the humor I think arrives from situational kind of humor. The the humor that these characters are in. Um, I think uh, I think of like you know Empire Strikes Back, and a lot of the humor in that movie is not. Somebody says something and somebody has like a smart ass, uh, smart ass comment and they, you know, and they, they say something like the Marvel movies do. It's not really like that. Uh, I think uh, for better or worse, uh, a lot of the Disney era sequel trilogy movies do have like kind of humor like that. Um, uh, and I just don't know if Taika's sensibilities, as far as the humor is concerned, quite fits well within this. And I will say uh, Lucasfilm probably agrees with that, because remember the last <laughs> time that we had some filmmakers come in here and they tried to do a lot of ad lib humor with Lord uh, Lord Miller yeah, for Solo? Yeah. They got fired. <laughs> <laughs> so I also don't think that Lucasfilm is terribly uh, eager to see a lot of ad lib and a lot of kind of slapsticky, quippy kind of humor in Star Wars, because I think that they're very protective of and as they sh- as they should be of what the tone of star wars is 
Yeah. And then last yeah. but not least, I will also not to interrupt you or to keep oh, going no, yeah, here. Go ahead. Um, last but not least, I also just think that the action in these in these movies, I think there are moments of action that is like, oh, that was a cool moment. Valkyrie did that cool thing. But as far as the cohesion of everything, making sure that everything fits and it feels like it's in the same kind of uh, uh, tone and energy not terribly uh, something you know super interesting to me uh i think about uh in thor love and thunder that early sequence of thor versus that big uh army there to me just didn't have necessarily the same kind of weight or impact or emotional kind of impact uh of something like star wars uh to me granted it's it's funny because we're talking about something that is not star wars and saying it doesn't feel like star wars because obviously it's not star wars <laughs> so it's not going to feel like star wars right. i understand that i mean more of just kind of like okay this is kind of the precedent that we've seen taika set for himself as far as what we can expect to see in a big budget action adventure fantasy film the next one presumably that he's going to be making is star wars so what can maybe we kind of expect to see and uh, from what we've seen, uh, I, I, my, my confidence is a little shaken. No, it's a little shaken. Yeah. And and maybe that's partially kind of the, uh, I guess the background of what fight choreography or or action set pieces uh, in Star Wars might look like. Um, and you know, are we getting things now that that are, you know, very very detail oriented? Something like something like Obi-Wan Kenobi where we kind of talked about the the attention to detail every move has purpose um and it doesn't feel like it goes on too long but it feels like everything uh is you know is is used very well and it goes on long enough yeah um where there's somewhat of an obsession with kind of the you know huge bing bang boom of it all and like you brought up in that that scene in in the new Thor movie where you know, the, the quote unquote fighting is more just like, what would it be like for this super powered guy to just be throwing things around or, you know, yeah. trading blows with this, with this character that have these huge ramifications in terms yeah. of like you smack one of them and he flies all the way over to the other side of the planet. Yeah. Right. That isn't star Wars. It just never has been. It never will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you scale that down and then at the same time avoid something like people are obsessed with kind of the close quarters John Wick style, you know, extraction kind of, sure. uh, you know, action choreography. What's a middle ground? What's a good middle ground? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I will say the last episode of The Mandalorian is kind of a good indicator that I don't think that Taika Waititi has that kind of managed because there isn't very you know there's not much action choreography a lot of it is very explosive one thing and then sit in it for a while yeah and um you know so that might be kind of a clue as to well what do we make this look like not really sure um so yeah i i would agree with that and and i was gonna you know mention kind of on the on the humor side of things you're totally right. The situational humor in star Wars has always, always kind of been the staple. I have said it on this show before and I'll say it again. The best joke in all of star Wars, in my opinion is 
when uh, the gang is in the trash compactor and C-3PO thinks that they've died. It's it's the best joke. It's yeah. so good. It is incredible. It's a good one. And then like second to that would be something like BB-8's thumb, thumbs up. Like just those little moments, right? And yeah. I think behind well, those I, I do want to pause because I also thought, oh, yeah. thought, of this, thought, uh, thought of the same thing, but it's just before the BB-8 moment to where it's Ray trying to fix the Falcon and she's asking Finn for the parts and he keeps holding up the wrong one. And she's like, yes. no, no, no. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like a quip. It's just the humor comes in the fact that Finn is not able to, he is completely out of his element and Ray is like becoming increasingly frustrated that they're going to die because of this poisonous gas. You know, yes. it's not like a, you know, a silly comment or joke or punchline. And I do think that, I think that there is something to be said for, I, this is maybe just a me personal kind of thing. I think when you go into a movie and it is a comedy and the jokes per minute are just super ramped up and every single line is a joke, it almost becomes numbing, you know, yes. and it's not as funny as you're, you're swept up in the story and it's a fun action adventure kind of thing. And then something funny happens. Uh, but then you're right back into the action, you know, it, when it's just like berating you with jokes, it almost kind of just makes you kind of just like your eyes just kind of gloss over because it's all just like this you know onslaught of isn't this funny and it just can get a little a little nummy yeah. sometimes you know yeah I, I i was you know kind of thinking of the you know what what do we see in star wars that's any different uh from those situational things and honestly like i i hate to say this because it is, you know, it's a proud moment for me as a fan mm -hmm. that for The Rise of Skywalker, Ben Schwartz wrote a lot of jokes for C-3PO. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not really something that we've seen before is writing jokes for a character, a literal comedian writing jokes for a character. Yeah. Um, where a lot of what something like a lot of what Han Solo says in response to some of the things Luke says is like, that's funny just because Harrison Ford has a great read of that line that's right. written. Whereas yeah. you get something in the rise of Skywalker, like C-3PO saying, Oh, I'm fine. But you know, you didn't ask about me, but I'm okay. Yeah. And it's like, Haha, you know, sure. Um, where those things are so intentional that you're right. It becomes a little bit draining to be like, yeah, yeah, no, it's funny. I'm still watching. Okay. You know, we get it. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just to say, you know, you can very clearly point to things like that in star Wars so far. We've been, you know, talking about, what would it be like? But we've seen this in star Wars now of JJ Abrams saying, well, we need to make this, we need to make this movie funny. We need to make it lighter. We need to bring up the tone a little bit. And so they bring a comedian in to write jokes and it feels off. Like it just doesn't really line up, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's definitely a fine line to cross or a fine line to walk as is a lot of star Wars, you know, visually star Wars is so, odd in that there are things that you know feel very star wars but in even within the same movies of being in star wars doesn't feel quite star wars at all and people and fans are pretty quick to point out that uh dexter's diner does not feel like it fits within star wars but chaman's cantina does both of them are like eating establishments that are familiar of like kind of a bygone era of filmmaking one of them is kind of a western thing one of them is a western still style of filmmaking but like in the 1950s as opposed to yeah. like an old yeah. 
West kind of saloon. It's such a fine line of what does feel like Star Wars and what doesn't feel like Star Wars. And I don't think that the humor is exempt from that. A lot of uh, fans when the prequels came out didn't think, believe it or not, prequel fans, (laughs) when the the prequels came out, people didn't like the action. People didn't like the fighting. People thought the Darth Maul uh, Phantom Menace thing was a little bit too fast. It didn't have the gravitas and the weight that something like Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi did to where it feels like they're wielding broadswords, you know? People are resistant to change because these are movies that are very important to us. We we study these films and go frame by frame and, you know, and have watched these movies a million times, so they feel kind of ingrained to our DNA. And when something new is introduced to it, we're kind of uh, hesitant to that change. Not to say that I don't think change could be welcome within Star Wars, and I'm not excited to see new things, but I do think it matters that a lot of it is fitting within this wider umbrella that is Star Wars. And it's, yeah. you know, the reason that we're all here. And I just think based on what we saw in Thor Love and Thunder, I just don't know if it's something that I don't know. To me, to me, I'd be curious to see, but Taika does seem to have a very cavalier sort of quality to him you know he seems to i think he has said that he wants a very relaxed set he wants people to have fun on set and he seems like he doesn't necessarily take himself too seriously which is not an issue for me i think that that's totally fine i just don't i don't not to say that it does happen not to say that i'm accusing taika of this i don't know but i just don't want his approach to filmmaking to also be cavalier you know on set if you want to have a nice loosey-goosey set especially if you're trying to have people you know ad-lib and to have jokes and to, to have that kind of looser energy on set that's totally fine i just don't want him as a his approach to these movies to be as kind of casual if that makes sense yeah i know that that totally makes sense and He's obviously gotten a lot of press recently and, um, you know, is one of the people now that people are really, you know, praising for for being a filmmaker in the nerdiverse. Mm. Um, but, you know, the press that he's gotten, he's talked about, like, you know, not really caring about a whole lot of things. And so I, I think you're totally right. Not to say that he's, you know, completely just apathetic towards what might be you know, be the biggest event in star Wars coming back to the big screen. Um, yeah, not, not at all to say that he's apathetic about those things, but he has that approach to a lot of things. that's very clear. And I think that the distinction there is if he's working with somebody like Matt Barry, or he's working with somebody, you know, like, um, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. The, the guy that's in Jojo rabbit that plays like the, the second, you know, second hand man guy. Um, he's like, got, he's tall. Sam he's Rockwell, got like, Stephen Merchant. Stephen Merchant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Working with someone like Stephen Merchant, who is so capable of, yeah. of bringing so much to a space. I mean, I, I love that guy. I love that guy. And, you know, working with people like that, who kind of pick up on that and say that there is a role to do here but we're still going to be loosey goosey about it because we're going to get the job done. Sure. Yeah. I'm not saying everybody has to be like somber on set and just like frowns, you know, frown city there. Yeah. But I just, I just, I am hopeful that, and I do, I don't, I'm not accusing Taika of not taking star Wars seriously. And I would hope fans are able to loosen up a little bit and to have a little bit more fun and to maybe expand their minds onto what star Wars is. 
I love, there's lots of silly moments in Star Wars Rebels. It's my favorite Star Wars television show. So that's the yeah. show, like, I don't just want everything to be dark and serious and downer and sour all the time. I'm totally, one of my favorite uh, jokes in Star Wars is in The Last Jedi when Rey is trying to, like, uh, feel for the Force and uh, Luke is, like, toying with her and slaps her <laughs> in the hand. I love that moment. Super, super fun. Totally down to have all that kind of stuff. I just want him to be sure that he... Uh, and again, not to say that he doesn't, but to understand kind of the responsibility that comes with helming something like this and that, you know, when you are ushering Star Wars back onto the big screen, there's going to be a lot of pressure and weight on his shoulders. And he kind of seems to he kind of seems like there will be fans who are like, I, I hate when Marvel movies have humor. I hate when it's blah, 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 blah. And he goes, okay, I'm going to do specifically that. And I do think that there is a power to that. I do think that there is, uh, maybe a little bit more lightening up that some fans have, uh, for that. But I also do think sometimes fans ha do have an idea of what does fit within star Wars and what, you know, fits within this beloved franchise because they have a very vast knowledge of this and not to dunk on the guy. I understand that he forgot. I understand it was a slip of the mind. I don't know if you saw, but he was like talking oh, with I Natalie. Totally did, he was yes. talking with Natalie Portman and they were talking about, uh, him coming back to star or him coming to star Wars. Well, I guess coming back to star Wars and, uh, he was going to be making the next movie and he had asked Natalie, he's like, Oh, have you ever considered being in star wars and she was like i was in it you know <laughs> i understand it's just it is kind of funny that he he forgot that she is like one of the most important uh actresses in the prequel era of star wars it, i understand that things slip his mind uh but it doesn't seem like he's waking up living and breathing star wars like a lot of star wars fans are all that to say i think sometimes uh uh not giving fans what they expect is totally valuable, but I also understand that sometimes there are, you know, things to be heard from, from Star Wars creators, people at Lucasfilm, Star Wars fans, because we, this stuff means a lot to us. And I think that, uh, there is a bit of a, a push and pull there, so to speak. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, you know, especially right when you were, were kind of talking about the, um, you know, bringing in a certain tone, um, with, you know, with the expectations here, mm -hmm. um, just kind of thinking about the responsibility, quote unquote, that, that Taika Waititi has to Star Wars as a whole, but also to fans is if we are expecting a shift in what Star Wars might look like, whether it's a little bit more, you know, loose, a little bit more, you know, wild and silly, um, it's going to have to really it's going to have to really knock it out of the park to take something like the epic royal kind of, you know, amalgamation of the Skywalker saga where when I am imagining like the trailer and it's it's the boom logo, you know, that parts in the middle and it's got the, you know, just the, sure. the so recognizable font um, that sort of thing versus what we may see as his logo is it's gonna be a lot to pull off so either like fully dedicate to this thing that you want to be serious about mm -hmm. and you know in being serious about it make it uniquely what you want to make it yeah um but kind of just toying around with things and you know that 
I guess, attitude, if that's how it comes across, then yeah, that can be an issue. So I kind of see what you're saying, but that's, that's where my mind is at on that. Yeah. And to kind of wrap it up into final thoughts, I'll say what I have to say and then I'll kick it back to you. I think a lot of, uh, it's been a precedent within star Wars that a filmmaker can make a movie that's not as beloved. Uh, this is no book of Henry, but Colin Trevorrow made a movie that a lot, a lot of people loved. I also don't think, uh, Taika Waititi is, is he's no Colin Trevorrow. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and then Lucasfilm kind of goes, Oh, I don't really know. Or maybe pull the plug on this or, or go in a different direction. Lucasfilm for better or worse does have a very strong opinion on what is star Wars, what not, what is not star Wars. And if a filmmaker tries to go outside those lines too much, especially after something like the last Jedi, which again, different conversation, but they are very protective of what they think that fans will want from star Wars because they above anybody are going to be listening to those fans because they're keeping the lights on, you know? Um, and I do think that Taika Waititi is a very strong filmmaker. Um, I've liked a lot of the projects that he has worked on and I am greatly anticipating what he is going to bring to star Wars. I think right now, the reason that maybe I am a little nervous is because I don't know nobody knows what we can expect to see from him in regards to just the story. So here I am thinking of like, okay, how does Taika's humor fit into Empire Strikes Back or something like that? And I go, it really doesn't. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think of like Han going in the carbonite and like throwing out a quip, you know, like it just, it doesn't quite fit here. I will Mm -hmm. say though, and kind of keeping myself in check, Empire Strikes Back a movie that features a Muppet fighting (laughs) Luke Skywalker for like a bar of chocolate or whatever is in his, or he's fighting for the flashlight, you know, uh, and, and digging in his food and throwing stuff in there, you know, get out of there, you know, come on, it's my dinner. You know, it's a silly (laughs) movie. There's a lot of silly moments within that. So again, I don't think that star Wars needs to be dark and serious all the time. I do think that there are moments of levity that are needed in star Wars. It is this action fun, uh, uh, Story here. It's not all uh, uh, dour and upsetting all the time. I do just think within that moments of heart is very greatly needed. And I am, I think in finding some clarity on what the type of story that Taika is telling, if he's telling a story that is this, you know, ragtag group of rebels who go on this adventure, get trapped on a hidden world or something like that. I think my, my understanding of what star Wars, of what his interpretation of what star Wars is, will be able to go, okay, I could see how that could fit into this. Whereas now I'm just thinking of the entire universe of Star Wars uh, and and I'm just kind of imagining the worst. But uh, I, I look to something like Star Wars Visions, which offers so many different ideas of what Star Wars can be. Uh, and because of that, I'm so grateful to that show that it's able to offer all of these different flavors. So I've not completely lost faith in Taika. I will just say to give like kind of my the final pin in it. Thor Love and Thunder did not increase my excitement for his approach to Star Wars, but I am very anxiously awaiting to see the types of ideas he is interested in, the type of story that he is wanting to tell, the era, the type of character in Star Wars. Is it a rebel? Is it a pilot? Is it a bounty hunter, a Jedi, a youngling, kids, whatever? I want to see the type of story that he is interested in telling and what to him speaks to him about Star Wars beyond... Disney's going to pay me a fat paycheck and yeah, sure. Yeah. I directed the Mandalorian might as well. You know, I want to see what speaks to him about star Wars, why he feels that he needs to tell this story. Yeah. That's something that, I mean, that's almost exactly what I was going to say. 
um, with kind of his side of a story, his his full idea of a story. That's you know that's kind of the one thing that I am hopeful for. Just in terms of we have seen how a Star Wars movie can turn out um, when there is not one solid idea. Um, I don't even remember how many people uh, have writing credits for episode nine, but I just know that it shows. Um, and you know, you get something like Jojo rabbit where, uh, you know, there, there aren't any expectations there. Um, and Taika Waititi does a beautiful job of being able to inject heart, uh, into, into this story that needs to be a little bit more lighthearted in some places. Um, but you know, for those of you who haven't seen uh, Jojo Rabbit, I will keep the vagueness in check. But Garrett, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. That scene still really hits. Yeah, it hits so hard that it is it is insane that you can watch the rest of that movie and still get along with it as much as you do. Yeah, um, and I I think that for me the danger here is. So many people loved Ragnarok, and I think that that's why Love and Thunder turned out the way that it did. Yeah. Um, I don't look at Love and Thunder and say, oh, that is, that's 100% Taika Waititi, and, and that's why it is the way that it is. Yeah. I think that it, you know, and a lot of people are saying this, obviously, that it is just kind of, okay, let's do Thor Ragnarok again. Yeah. Um, so I just hope that people and and maybe the reception of this is enough to do that but i just hope that people aren't expecting thor ragnarok in star wars because i think that would be the misstep and not letting taika watiti you know do what he's going to do with being able to tell a story because i have i have faith in his ability to tell a story yeah um you know that's not that's not been in question for me it's just a matter of who are we trying to please here mm-hmm. are we trying to please fans are we trying to please the overlords at the mouse house, or are we trying to write a story that yeah. we feel like we want to tell? So yeah. those, I think those are my, my final thoughts there. Yeah. I will say, uh, if, if Jojo rabbit was the movie that came out this weekend, dude, I would be thrilled. <laughs> That's the, like, I will, I will genuinely like that movie feels very star Wars and in, in its themes and its ideas. I think the tone that he strikes in that would totally fit within star Wars. Yeah. There's For some sure. sillier stuff with like the imaginary Hitler and stuff like that. But I think of the, some of the more emotional moments in that movie, also the end of that movie, super hopeful, really a lot of star Wars themes within that movie. So I, I, that would give me a lot of confidence in what he will bring to star Wars. And I know that that movie is like, written and directed by him. It is his baby where he is coming into the world of the MCU as he will be with star Wars. Yeah. But I'm hopeful that that kind of passion that he no doubt had for Jojo rabbit is brought into uh, star Wars. So uh, love Taika. Can't wait to see what he does. Can't wait to see star Wars back on the big screen and, uh, and get some details maybe coming in the future. I know that, mo- uh, you know, that movie will be filming, uh, you know, next year. So it's, it's, it's going to be a hot minute. Taika is a very busy man uh but until then noah do you want to close us out absolutely thank you guys so much for tuning in with us we hope you learned something today if there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover you can head over to our twitter and shoot us a message at scum villain pod but for now this has been scum and villainy with noah to george and garrett mcdowell and may the force be with you we'll see you next time see you guys